Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Naming in an AI Age. I have Ashley with me and Mike, of course. Um, today, we're going to talk about different name styles. There are a lot of different types of name styles that you could consider for your product, for your brand, for your company. And we're going to talk about four today. It was a couple of episodes ago, we had already discussed naming after yourself. So if you are interested or considering naming your business after yourself, using your name, we highly recommend you go back and listen to that episode. We talk about all the differing opinions, the pros and the cons of naming after yourself. But we're going to talk about four other types of name styles. Uh, we're going to talk about acronyms. Are acronyms a good idea or a bad idea? What are the pros and cons of acronyms? We're going to talk about made up naming or coined naming. Uh, we're going to also talk about more descriptive name styles. And then lastly, we're going to talk about evocative naming. So we're going to start out with acronyms. I would love both of y'all's opinions on what do you think about using an acronym for a brand name? I mean, I'm literally trying to think of acronyms that are brand names. AT&T, IBM. Mm. See, um, see, you just think of it as how it's pronounced. I don't really think, and I see the visual of the letters together. I don't really think of it as, I mean, that means they've done a good job, obviously. Um, I don't know. I, I think of acronyms. Acronyms in, in the education world were just overwhelming and nobody knew what they meant. And I was constantly, you know, if you started a new school, they have their own acronyms for everything here in Texas. We love acronyms. So I'm Googling everything. Like, what does this mean? Obviously with a brand, you don't necessarily have that. And I think at this point, I don't even know what AT&T stands for. I don't know what IBM stands for. Mm -hmm. I just know what they are. So I don't know. I, I guess they did a good job, but I'm not really sure if, what is, what was the point of the acronym, I guess. Okay. I mean, acronyms allow you to shorten the name. And if you're willing to put a lot of money behind it and you're in a, a, a non-competitive space or you have a really unique value prop, it should be considered, right? I drink uh, Athletic Greens and it's AG and it's AG1. And so most people just call, you know, call it AG. It stands for Athletic Greens, but in their space, they were able to sort of pioneer this thing in a, a unique and novel way. And I think that works for them. It's got sort of that cool, hip, sporty vibe. And I think acronyms work better in certain spaces than others, right? So if you're in a space where a lot of the names are real words or coin names that convey a benefit or a feature or sound premium or sound like they're from Europe or a designer, mm -hmm. it's tough to compete effectively with a emotionless, meaningless, three-letter alphabet soup acronym that usually doesn't work very well but in a few cases you know if it's sort of the norm or you feel like it gives it that sort of sporty vibe like the gt 400 or whatever then maybe but as a general rule of thumb we try to avoid acronyms because they just don't bring as much to the table in terms of meaning or emotional cachet or the things that we're really looking for a name to deliver megan yeah. do you have any thoughts when you think about acronyms like BMW, like BMW, which is so hard to say, but it's, it's wildly successful, right? People love BMWs and it's, so you could say, well, it's been so successful. Clearly having an acronym as a name is a good idea. But I think the difference between like REI, H&M, AT&T, 
BMW, these are companies that have been around a long time and they have a history. They have a story. They have a lot of brand dollars. They have a huge budget to make this successful. And so if you're just starting out your startup and you're considering an acronym, I would say avoid it. Don't do it. It's going to, unless you are in it for the long haul, you have a lot of money, you have a great history, a great brand story that you can wrap around the name. Otherwise, as Ashley kind of proved, it's like, well, what is it? What does it mean? It's it's not evocative. It's not something that necessarily sticks out in your mind. And acronyms can sometimes stand for uh, things that have negative connotations. Mike loves to talk about IBM and how people could think of BM as standing for bowel movement. And so there's some risk associated with acronyms too. Um, so I think overall, we would all agree, acro naming, as I like to call it, is not going to be the best route to go or is not an area we would encourage you to go to. Um, so let's talk about uh, descriptive naming. What is descriptive naming? What are the pros and cons? Well, I think so, one pro yeah. is it it telegraphs more of what you're trying to convey or maybe the attribute you want to convey, the product, that type of thing. That's what I've learned so far here. Um, I guess I don't really think about other descriptive names. Mike, what are your thoughts? So there's a big difference between descriptive and suggestive. So under trademark law, descriptive names are not registrable. You can't own the name. And an example of a descriptive name is back when we wrote the first PC program for naming in 1986, we wanted to call it Name Maker. And our attorney said, you can't call it Name Maker because that's exactly what it does. You know, right. it's a tool for making names that's descriptive and the PTO won't let you register that. So we went with a suggestive name, Namer. And Namer suggests that it relates to naming, but it doesn't specifically say this tool makes names. And so Namer was a name that we were able to register as a trademark. And then we came out with the Windows version a few years later, we called it Name Pro. And Name Pro's a little bit maybe more suggestive than Namer in terms of the pro takes you to professional, right? but it's still not as descriptive as name maker. So it's a, it's a spectrum, but the more obvious the name, the more common the word is in that category or industry that you're in, the harder you're going to have, the harder time you're going to have really being able to register it, protect it and own it and keep competitors from using it. Yeah. So yeah, this descriptive or suggestive, I guess is the correct name term, you know, this style is usually the most popular naming strategy. It's usually what most people want from us because it's considered safer than other style of names um, because descriptive or suggestive names tend to resonate with the larger group of people. They're more easily understood and they do require that lower marketing budget because they are get you most of the way there types of names. So examples that come to mind for me are CarMax, which is a name that we came up with, uh, or I'll say Mike, and his team at the time came up with, I don't know, a couple of decades were ago. Were we born? Uh, I don't, uh, we were little, I will say that. Okay. So CarMax would fall into this category, Toys R Us, um, SodaStream, and even PayPal. You know, those types of names kind of clearly telegraph or suggest the product or service, you know, so that you understand what they are upon first glance. Um, and I feel well, like there are certain industries that this is used in specifically. I mean, I feel like a lot of technical industries, you know, in that space, they like that, or even medical type things, you want to be able to quickly identify maybe what it is um, with that type of name. 
Right. So that's why they're the, by far the most popular style of names. But as Mike already mentioned, getting these more telegraphic style names through trademark clearance, clearance, and then also being able to secure that exact.com can be a huge challenge due to just that saturated naming landscape. So, okay. So opposite from the suggestive naming, let's talk about made up naming or coined naming. What is it? What are the benefits and drawbacks? Mike? Ashley? Okay. <laughs> so, and you guys probably have, have garnered this or figured this out by now that the coin names or the abstract names are often the easiest to get through trademark registration. They tend to be shorter. So you don't have to worry about using up all your real estate if you've got a package or signage or something because the coin names will often be shorter and so they'll tend to pop a little bit more. They sometimes have a more trendy or cool or modern vibe, right? That depending upon the industry and the category you're in, that may be in vogue. And so you might be able to ride that wave. You certainly want to avoid anything that's too faddish or too trendy. On a previous podcast, we talked about inserting a number in a name and how I thought that was so cool because I'm old and the millennials like Megan and Ashley thought that was really dumb because that wasn't cool anymore. It was only cool when text messaging first came out and now it's passe and dated and, and all that stuff. So to give you an example of a couple of names that, that we've come up with that are coined, but not just so abstract that they could be anything is we have OMGO, just O-M-G-O. And it's four letters, two syllables. Uh, it relates to, you know, something that's active or action-oriented with that go on the end of it. The om might take you to omni as an all and complete. So it has a bit of a story. Mm -hmm. um, om goes pretty easy to say. And it sort of does convey a little bit about persona that you might want to embrace, right? You, you could see omgo as an athlete. You could see omgo as uh, uh, an accelerator, a vehicle, something that's moving, a scooter. Um, there are certain categories that it fits pretty well in. And then there are other categories that maybe it wouldn't work as well in. So that's part of this strategy of coming up with a coin and abstract name is how does it sound? Does it just feel fast or does it feel pensive? Or does right. it feel whatever it is you want it to feel just by the way it flows off the tongue and then you can sort of build the appropriate, you know, story around it. And I like uh, that's just an example. Yeah, I like what you said about that with taking some of the Greek and Latin roots. We play a lot with those and softening them by ending them with an A or adding another right. prefix or suffix. And that can make it more coined, but also the the root itself does a little bit of the lifting for you, like you talked about with Omgo for sure. Yeah. Right. And I will say these made up style names, when we present these types of names like Omgo or even Vigo to some of our clients. These are not names that people immediately gravitate towards. It's not like, a, oh, I love that name. And that's important to mention because oftentimes we'll have people come to us saying, I want a name like Coca-Cola. I want a name like Lego. I want a name like Adidas or Nike. It's like the reason those are great names is because they have history. They have context. They have a logo. Like they have built this brand awareness that you think is incredible, but it, you know, had we given you that name, you know, years ago before it was ever a name, you'd probably be scratching your head kind of like, well, what does it mean? Like, I don't like it. And so I think you have to keep that in mind. Um, and it's a, it's a great strategy and they have a lot of great coin names have a lot of great benefits to them because there are, as I've mentioned, there's not a whole lot of prior associations 
with the, the name. Um, so you have the ability to kind of wrap this brand story around it. But at the same time, with a name like this, you have to have a, a big budget. You have to have a big marketing budget because you have to be able to put all that money behind telling the story. Um, but I, I think another benefit is typically names like this are easier to get clearance um, or they're lower risk for trademark, um, being able to get that trademark because they're coined and they're made up. So, okay, let's move on to evocative naming is what I'm calling it. Um, so to give you guys examples, evocative naming are typically real word names. They don't have to be, but they're not descriptive. So Apple, Apple's a real word name, but it does not describe the product really whatsoever. So we're calling it evocative because it brings this kind of mental image to mind and sometimes feelings associated with that. Other examples would be Yahoo um, or Casper or even Amazon. Um, let's talk about this naming strategy, pros and cons. Well, I think Ashley? some of the pros are that it does evoke something, you know, a, a prior association, whether or not that's positive or negative. I think the fact that it does a little bit of a lift in some way, and it kind of catches your attention because it's almost opposite maybe, or not related to what it's actually talking about. So you have that nice mental, the connotation behind it without necessarily it being descriptive of what it is. Mm -hmm. That, that, memorability potential that a evocative name brings to the table is huge, right? If, if a name is sticky, then you've, you're part of the way to winning the branding battle. You know, if you can't get inside your customer's head with a name that just they can recall, right? They can remember a day later, a week later, a month later, you'll burn through whatever budget you have just trying to get that unaided awareness score up to where it needs to be before you can start building preference and all the other things you want. And evocative names tend to be the most memorable style of names as a class of names because they do, they're evocative because they relate to an emotion or they're evocative because there's some visual image. Right. One of my favorite names that Megan and Ashley have heard me mention. I already know, we're once. already smiling. We already know. I know what's coming. <laughs> But I love this name and I can't get anybody to use it. I mean, I want, I want somebody probably by now it's already been used is, is something that conveys, you know, speed. So we do a lot of work for chips that go inside, you know, smartphones and cars and all this stuff. And of course, chips have to be fast. So the name I've loved for years is streaker, right? Now, if you're my age, it does bring certain visuals that maybe are inappropriate or that you laugh about or raises an eyebrow, but just by that fact, people will tend to remember it. And that it's a little controversial is a good thing uh, because it's interesting, right? A name that's safe, that's whether it's evocative or not, if it's a safe, traditional name, they tend to be boring. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about them. Nobody cares. It sounds like everything else is out there. And so an evocative name also often has something about it that is either visual or emotional or controversial. And because of that, it's sticky. It tends to reside in your brain. People want to discuss it. It sort of spreads itself organically throughout the social digital world. And everybody's heard about it without you guys having to do a whole lot in terms of your investment. Whereas a name that is meaningless, like an acronym or totally abstract, so who knows what it is, um, or like everybody else's name, it doesn't spread. You know, you have to spend so much effort just getting the word out as to what this thing is and who cares and all that. 
So we really like, and I personally really like this, this last style of name, Megan, that you've brought up. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably my favorite too. Uh, what were you going to say, Ashley? I was going to say, how do clients normally in, in your, both of your experience to the evocative style names versus the other types? Yeah, I would say evocative naming typically has similar reactions as complete and made up in coined naming because it's not an easy leap to whatever the product or service is. It, it makes people say, wait, what? How is this connected? Or what does this mean? But to Mike's point, that kind of reaction sticks with you. You remember it. And so one of the things that we like to do, the exercises we like to do with our clients and we've done in the past is after we present a handful of names uh, to a client, we like to figure out which names were memorable, not necessarily which names they liked, Mm -hmm. but which ones were memorable. And so we'll come back to them 48 hours after we've presented that set of names and say, Hey, question for you out of the names we presented to you, which ones do you remember? Again, not which ones you like, which ones you remember, because those are totally different things. And typically, you know, they'll, they'll say, Oh, I remember this name or that name. Those names tend to be of the more evocative naming styles because it grabbed them, whether it was a positive reaction or a negative reaction, doesn't matter. It grabbed them. And that's the stickiness factor that Mike is talking about. That's so important. Your name doesn't necessarily always have to be the most positive or well-liked, but if it can grip you and you can remember it, you got to hold on to that. That's, that's gold when it comes, that's the gold standard when it comes to naming. So, and that's, and I think that's a good point. And we we've talked to clients before that uh, maybe didn't want to do name validation research or testing or didn't have the budget for it, but just even doing that with a handful of people that you know and trust about, about your name. Um, and is there a sweet spot of numbers of, I mean, cause if you give them 50, that's a lot, that's too many. Is there, but three, maybe too few. So what, what would your sweet spot be in terms of giving, I guess, mulling over these names with people? Well, from a memorability standpoint, and we've done this for decades, we like to test six. Now that's a lot of names, but what it gives us the opportunity to do and our clients an opportunity to do is test different styles and types. So they might have two or three that, everybody likes and then there'll be two or three outliers in there that for whatever reason we think they're going to be more memorable or there's something about it that's interesting and we'll test those with their customers or their target and see which ones really resonate now one of the things about an evocative name or a name like you know an apple or an amazon or a streaker is they have associations. And sometimes those associations are viewed negatively or confusing. But that's not a disadvantage. It's actually something that you can lean into, right? That if the association is positive, like Streaker has some maybe off-putting associations, but it also suggests speed. Right. Well, then you lead into the speed and you build a story around that that whole association and it works for you. So Evocative names are sometimes harder to sell because an apple is associated with a red apple, at least it was initially, or the Beatles, the Beatles music label, not Apple computer. But people still remembered it. They still wanted to talk about it. And over time, that association can be really leveraged, I think, to deliver something of lasting brand value to you. So it's just one of the many things to consider in developing a name. 
Yeah, these are the types of conversations that we have with our clients. Everything that you guys are hearing us talk about today, we talk a lot about brand strategy and strategy with the type of name um, and the style of name. And so when you work with us, we love to go down all avenues, evocative naming, descriptive naming, um, the more suggestive naming. We, we come up with a lot of different name styles for you. We talk about all of the associated strategies that go with each one, and we help kind of guide you through that process. Um, it's what makes it fun. So that's all we have for you today. We will see you guys next week. Thanks, Mike and Ashley. Bye. Thank, thank you, guys. You.